strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, appreciate you spending some time with the show this morning. If you know a remarkable Valley teacher that is deserving of a check for $2,500, you can nominate a teacher in the uh, Pay Tribute to a Teacher program presented by your Valley Toyota dealers. Just text the word teacher to 411-923 and nominate a qualified teacher. That's the word teacher to 411-923. It's a great program. Um, Jerome Powell's inflation fight pledge could tee up another 0.75% or 0.75 point interest rate, three quarters of a point. Uh, the direction we are going now, the concerns, um, the Dow is up this morning, which is good news. It's uh, up uh, just over 31,000. It's always good news when that happens. But what is going to happen with the economy? We have uh, the, the direction that this country is going, the concerns that people have going into the holiday season. And then there's a story about how all of this is put together that I kind of want to put. I had not talked about them together as much, but the debt relief. Um, what they're doing with student loan forgiveness. The questions now are out there is how much it's going to cost. Originally, it was $300 billion. Yeah, billion with a B. Then other people were saying half a trillion at 500. And now people are saying over a trillion dollars is what this could end up costing the American taxpayers. But what does this do for inflation? When you, The reason why you drive up interest rates is you slow things down. It is always a difficult thing to do when you drive up interest rates to slow down purchasing and slow down money slow down the economy, not to trigger a recession. That's always what is dangerous. And when this all first started happening, we were told that inflation was transitory. It was going to tick up. So nothing was done. And there were many people saying that the Fed needs to act on this. The Treasury needs to get busy, but the Fed needs to act on this. And they did very did too little too late. Now they're in a position where they realize that we are on a collision course with a recession. Most people are saying at the beginning of next year we are going to be in one. Many people believe we're in a recession now. But as I've said many times before, the word recession largely is a political – it is a technical term. But it's used as a political weapon. Midterm elections are here. When the word recession gets thrown around, the American public blames the party in power. That's how it always is. If you look at what happened, uh, this was – I know I've mentioned this before. But when uh, George W. Bush was at the end of his term, his second term as president, he was a lame duck president. And the economy and what happened with the, with the real estate bubble bursting the way it did and the crash happened and the economy suffered so mightily, Barack Obama was the candidate for the Democrats at the time. John McCain was the candidate for the Republicans. And where we were, just based on experience, John McCain was the much more qualified person for the office. I'm not talking about party affiliation versus ideology. I'm just saying that when you looked at it, John McCain was probably the most recognizable name in American politics. He'd been in the Congress for a long time. And uh, Barack Obama was the challenger. And my, I, I didn't think, I'll be honest with you, when he named Joe Biden his running mate, when you are talking about hope and change, when Barack Obama named Joe Biden as his running mate, I thought what's odd about that choice is you're talking about someone that wants to forge a new path and go in a new direction. And that's what he's telling the American people. And he's chosen a running mate that's been in the Congress longer than John McCain. I thought it was a mistake. I mean, I've been wrong so many times. It's easy for me to admit it. I was wrong. But what Barack Obama did in part, part, not all of it, but in part, was he tied the Bush economy to John McCain 
what you were going to get with a John McCain presidency was more of the Bush economy. And people vote with their wallets. When we were in such a great recession going on at that time, the American people were angry. And whether it was legitimate or not, it was laid at the feet of the Republicans that were in control, starting with the president of the United States. That's just how it works. And in this election cycle, if the word recession is being used, it's going to get tied to the to the to the Democrats because they're in charge. But the word largely is. a political term in that way. The the American public is more concerned about what's happening to them, what's happening to their neighbors. So when you look at people that are hurting already, and I, this is just an emotional, whether you consider it right or wrong, this is an emotional reaction. When you take people that are hurting – uh, their personal economy is suffering. They're working twice as hard they feel for half as much. They are making more money than they were making before, but it isn't going as far. Inflation is outpacing um, their wage increases. And what it really is painful about it is in the areas where you're seeing the highest parts, uh, the highest inflation. Here in the Valley, we the highest inflation in the country for a long, long time, A, because of housing. We had a rental shortage, have a rental shortage. We have a housing shortage. Now, we've seen a softening in the real estate market, which I think will reflect in a decrease in inflation coming soon in Arizona, at least in the Phoenix metro area in the valley. But when you have that happening, where you're paying more to keep a roof over your head, when your necessities such as food and fuel are through the roof, people are hurting and they don't know how they're going to pay their bills. They are scaling back. We are seeing people with food insecurity for the first time. We are seeing more and more working families going to food banks and getting food boxes to get themselves until the next payday. That is all the reality of where we are with our economy. When you do that. And then the administration turns around in the midst of that hurt, says, we're going to forgive the student loan debt for this group of people. We are going to spend half. um, Let's cut it down the middle and call it a half a trillion dollars. I think it's going to be closer to a trillion. But just for the sake of argument, let's say it's half a trillion. You say we are going to forgive the student loan debt. I can tell you from personal experience, from my personal emotions, there are working people who didn't go to college, who went out and worked, that either built a business or built a career based on their experience and built a career based on their their hard work ethic and then getting experience on the jobs and making themselves a viable commodity in the workforce. When you tell those people we're going to forgive the student loan debt of one group, if I were a small business owner that went out and got an SBA loan, a student, a small business administration loan, and I'm working my butt off through COVID-19 and I'm doing all the things that I got to do to keep my head above water, and now you're telling me that people with student loan debt are going to get forgiveness and I'm still slaving away trying to do what I'm doing, I'm angry. And that's what's happening. There's an anger amongst a lot of people about this. And the the trite comments from people uh, that say, how can you be angry about this and why would you be angry? Because people are looking at this and saying the American people are paying this. If Joe Biden had a trillion dollars and he wanted or if he wanted to go out to all of the billionaires out there and said, hey, listen, I need you billionaires. We need to collect some money. And we're as a as a group are going to set up a fund to forgive student loan debt. I think that's an amazingly kind thing to do. When you put it on the backs of the American taxpayer, I think it's wrong, and that's how people are reacting. 
Uh, the border crisis, what's happening? We've got a response from the governor of Texas talking about Mayor Lightfoot in Chicago, and we'll give you an update on what's happening. It's all coming up here in a few moments. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Uh, Frequent updates on the border and what's happening and frustration from a lot of people. The governor of of Texas uh, in a war of words with the mayors of New York and uh, Chicago as more and more buses are being sent from Texas in their direction. Um, and we're going to get to that in a moment. As a matter of fact, let's start with how many people. Uh, this is an update on how many people through the fiscal year, by the end of the fiscal year, how many people will have come into this country. The Department of Homeland Security admitting it has work to do in securing the U.S. southern border. The U.S., though, set to surpass more than two million encounters along the border by the end of the fiscal year. That is a a, a number that is crazy. So when you take in all of the things that have happened and I I know I've talked about this before but I want you to think about what's happened and this all plays a role in what people believe and how they feel we know that there are school districts that still want to mask our kids and you've got parents that are fighting against it Um, and then those parents are then doxxed which we're going to talk more about a little bit later they're doxxed and they are harassed and they are called domestic terrorists but Look at the difference in the disparity. How serious is our government taking things? And I mean this very seriously. As an American citizen, how serious is our government taking certain things? Because it was just asked, and, and Peter Ducey talked with uh, with the White House Press Secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre, about this, that at the southern border of the United States, there is no such thing as a vaccine mandate. There isn't. And so you can walk across the border or drive across the border without a vaccine requirement. If you as an American citizen, if you were to drive into Mexico and come back home, you don't have to show proof of a negative test. But if you get on an airplane and fly into Mexico and then you fly back in, you have to show a negative test. So what that would say to me is, all right, so why don't I do this? If I go to Mexico on vacation and somehow I contract, I I get COVID-19. Well, I don't want to sit here for two weeks in quarantine. I got to get back to work. I'll just drive across the border because they're not going to ask me if I I drive across the border. That's the reality of it, that we are doing things with the recommendations and, the, and the, uh, the rules that we have in place for American citizens or people with visas. Um, uh, you've got uh, what's his name? Djokovic, the, the professional tennis player, not playing in the U.S. Open because he's not vaccinated. And yet you can walk across the border and demand asylum in the U.S. And there is no such requirement. If you have a visa, if you are an essential worker to the U.S. and you have a visa to come here to work, you must show proof of full vaccination and boosting before you are allowed to set foot in American soil. But if you walk across the border, you don't. This is where the hypocrisy of the of the southern border of the United States, to me, is absolutely foolish. And, um, you know, uh, there's so much to discuss with this. I want you to hear uh, uh, Governor Abbott as he's talking about um, he's talking about the the governor. I'm sorry, the uh, the mayor of uh, of New York. He's really nothing more than a hypocrite. New York City is a self-declared sanctuary city. 
So how many undocumented immigrants have come to New York from Arizona and Texas? What's the number? New York City officials estimate that more than 2,800 undocumented immigrants have arrived from Texas and Arizona. Is that not – I want all of you, I want you to think about this. New York City, 8 million people, right? 8 million people in Manhattan or in New York. Um, 2,800? You know what that's called in Texas? Tuesday. That's what 2,800 is. 2,800 is just a week in in Texas. What we are seeing in our southern border, 2,800 people going to New York, and we're overwhelming their system. This is such a small uh, picture of what's actually happening. Is it changing anything? No, I don't think it is. Is it solving the problem? I know it's not solving the problem either. It isn't. But what is what this is what's so frustrating about all of this is that they are they are not doing anything about it. As a matter of fact, um, Karine Jean-Pierre was challenged by Ted Cruz. Come down to the border and see for yourself. And she went into a rant talking about um, how the southern she's been to the border back in 2018. And she talked about the failures of the Trump administration, how families were being separated and babies were being torn from mother's arms. And some of those families haven't been reunited yet. And I want to know why that is, if the Biden administration has been around for a couple of years. But so she went down that road. She was there in 2018. The border is a completely different place now from where it was in 2018. It is a completely different place. And when you see the problems, um, what's happening, and more and more people are coming, uh, I wish, and for everybody's sake, I wish that there was more accurate coverage of just what's happening. Show the desert in Arizona. To all of you out there that are the uh, conservationists, environmentalists here in Arizona, that there are parts of the desert you're not allowed to walk in because it destroys the beauty of the desert, and they're trying to save it. And I think that's a great thing. I remember coming to Arizona for the first time or moving here when I drove here and driving through the desert for the first time and how absolutely beautiful it is. And then you go down there and take a look at what they're facing down on the border. With what's left behind, human waste and diapers and trash, and, and that's just one element of it. But people are dying. Women are getting raped. People are forced into slavery. And we're doing nothing about it. And this administration acts like they've got it all under control, and everybody knows they, they don't. And that's where the problem lies. We are going to talk in a moment about the special master update and what's happened. Peter Ducey uh, turns the tables on Corinne Jean-Pierre about a stolen election. What he says to her and what she says back is amazing. You're going to hear both next. and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, I appreciate you spending some time here. Uh, the uh, There's a lot of controversy now about a special master being named in the investigation into President Trump, and we're going to hopefully get to the bottom of this, and I imagine this is going to take a much longer time than people want. But I want you to hear something, and this has been my conversation about this idea of a stolen election. Because... Um, 
the argument is being made that the people that believe that the election was stolen, I'm not one of those, by the way. Um, I've been very critical of the audit here in Arizona, not because it was done, but in the way that it was done, which we're going to get into a little bit later in the show as well with a new update on the head of the cyber ninjas, Doug Logan. Um, but it's more about the, the, uh, the differences in how it's handled. If you look back, Hillary Clinton is still saying the election was stolen from her in 2016. She's still saying it. Recently, she said, we may never know what happened. No one is going after her as a conspiracy theorist. And so the defense of that is, well, January 6th was an insurrection. And I will tell you, what happened on January 6th was a horrible day in American history. It shouldn't have happened. It was despicable behavior by people that are on my side of the aisle. I called it out the day it happened, and I'll never back away from that. But also, it's a two-way street. And if you're going to call people that believe that elections have been stolen in America crazy, conspiracy theorists, tinfoil hat-wearing people, then you have to call everyone that believes that that. The defense of whether it's Stacey Abrams in Georgia or Hillary Clinton – Um, I want you to hear a a conversation because social media will come back to haunt you if you aren't careful. So Peter Ducey was uh, who is is in the press pool at the White House, was talking with Karine Jean-Pierre about her past tweets about 2016. You tweeted Trump stole an election. You tweeted Brian Kemp stole an election. If denying election results is extreme now, yeah. Why so let's happen? let's be really clear. That comparison that you made is just ridiculous. I have How been I have ridiculous? been. Well, you're asking me you're asking me a question. Yes. Let me answer it. And you said it was Wait, ridiculous. I was. I was talking specifically at that time of what was happening with voting rights and the what was in danger of voting rights. That's what I was speaking to at the time. And here's the thing. I have said Governor Kemp won the election in Georgia. Uh, I have said President Trump won the election of 2016. So um, there's a big difference between saying somebody won and then having it stolen, which is what she said in her tweets. This is where my problem lies with this whole conversation. Is that I don't have to defend election deniers. They can defend themselves. The people that still believe that there were problems with the election and they believe that there are problems with our election system, they exist. And you can marginalize them all you want and you can call them conspiracy theorists if you want to. But it's an unfair characterization when you go back and look and you can still do it. There are many people that have deleted their tweets. How many people in this country were screaming that the election was stolen from Hillary Clinton? There, and I'll explain. I think that it's the same principle. I really do. Um, is that when you start saying that the election was stolen, it's because you can't believe your per, your your person lost. I was one of the people. Uh, I remember talking about this on the air. I didn't think there was a possibility that Donald Trump was going to beat Hillary Clinton. I didn't think he could do it. I thought she was the heir apparent. She was a terrible candidate. Terrible. And she ran a bad campaign. And that's why she lost. So if you as a Hillary Clinton supporter were one of the people that woke up not believing that Donald Trump won the presidency, then you should be able to relate to the people that feel that way not believing that Donald Trump lost to Joe Biden. You look at the evidence that was there, The what, what I would say evidence, What and I say I guess I shouldn't use the word evidence, but you look at what people saw. Here in Arizona, 
Weekend after weekend after weekend, there were there were these Trump trains that went all over the state of Arizona. They were happened all over the country. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, Trump flags, MAGA flags, American flags, driving down the freeways and roadways of America every weekend. Joe Biden came to Arizona. I believe he did one in Arizona where they did these car rallies and nobody got out of their car because of COVID. And six cars would show up. Six cars. President Trump would have a rally and there would be 20,000 people that showed up to the naked eye. It looked like there wasn't a chance in the world that Joe Biden was going to win that election. So based on that, people are looking at this. There's no way Biden really won this election. It is the exact same emotion that happened when Hillary Clinton lost. So people point out things about Trump and they will say, and not my words, theirs, but they'll say about Trump. Well, you know, you come to Arizona. And you bash John McCain after he's dead. And there are still a lot of McCain-loving, independent, and Republican voters in Arizona. Biden only won it by 10,000 votes, and I'm sure that he made 10,000 people angry. That's one of the criticisms. On the other side of that, remember Hillary Clinton. Remember everything going on with the email servers and with the documents about her. It was you, There were parallel things going on between in those two different time periods. Hillary Clinton walked around the country, traveled around the country saying that she was going to kill the fossil fuel industry, coal and oil. The people of West Virginia told her, don't even bother coming here and campaigning. Then on those Midwest, there were places around the Midwest that that uh, President Trump focused on to win that election where he eked out victories in districts across the Midwest, what was affectionately called the Rust Belt. And he was able to uh, eke out wins in those districts. There were over 200 congressional districts that had voted twice for Barack Obama that flipped by very small margins and elected Donald Trump. All of that's true. Hillary Clinton still said it was Russian collusion, even though that's been debunked. Even though that's been debunked. Um, I, I want you to hear uh, just a couple of things very quickly. Uh, this is, this is uh, James Comey when he was going down the laundry list of things about Hillary Clinton. Although we did not find clear evidence that Secretary Clinton or her colleagues intended to violate laws governing the handling of classified information, there is evidence that they were extremely careless in their handling of very sensitive, highly classified information. That's just a little piece of it. So that's what cost Hillary Clinton the election. So if the the people that are laughing at election deniers now, you were in the same camp in 2016, many of you. And so then the knee jerk reaction is, well, we didn't go down to the Capitol and try to stop this. We didn't. It doesn't matter what you did as far as I'm not condoning what happened on January 6th. I'm saying the attitude was there's no way Hillary lost that race. She wrote a book called What Happened, saying that it was stolen from her. She still believes it. And yet. It is the people on the other side that are being labeled. This is my problem. We have to be consistent with each other. I would love for there to be the special master to sort through this, to give people reasonable information that they can trust instead of this partisan, always one side or the other, you're with me or you're against me attitude. Coming up in a moment, we are going to talk about the governor's race in Arizona. For the first time, a candidate is denying or turning down the opportunity to debate an opponent. Is this a good idea? What should happen? We'll talk about that coming up in just one moment.
values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, appreciate you being here. Uh, as the races in Arizona heat up, we are sprinting toward November. We have got a very important, six very important elections. Now, all of them are important, but six statewide races that are up for grabs. And uh, we've been covering them quite a bit here, uh, doing a series of television shows called Before You Vote on AZTV, where we're highlighting one of these statewide races every week leading up to, and then we've got some issues that we're covering. And... Um, it's interesting to sit down. It's a completely different format. And what I mean by that is on TV, I have absolutely no opinion. I, I don't push back on anything. I ask questions and let the candidates answer any way they want. And I've had candidates from both sides of the aisle in every race because it's Republican versus Democrat in every race so far. And they've been great conversations where you get to decide if you believe what they're saying and, and if you uh, like what they're saying or dislike it, it's just information. And that's the way I think debate should be handled by a moderator. And I think that's where campaign conversation should be handled by someone that it's not my time, it's the guest time. They have an opportunity to tell you what they think. In an interview process here, it's different. What I do here on this show, it's opinion driven and when I have guests on here, there is a bit of a debate sometimes and where I disagree, I push back and I like those conversations. I think they're valuable to people. I've used the word apologetics before. um, And it is not just telling people what you believe, but explaining why you believe it. You know, for some people, when you're asked, are you a Christian? Yes. Why? Well, are you a Catholic? Yes. Why? Well, I grew up Catholic. My parents took me to Catholic church. I went to Catholic school. I go to a Catholic church. Now I'm going to take my kids to Catholic church. Well, why Catholicism? What is it about Catholicism that you uh, that that draws you to it, that keeps you going there? And you would be surprised. And it's not just Catholicism. It's any denomination of people that really can't explain why. It's not that they don't know why. They're just not able to defend their position. And that's what apologetics is, defending your position. Well, Katie Hobbs is not going to debate uh, Carrie Lake. I think this is a strategic move for her. Um, uh, There's no way it isn't, because if she thought that it would benefit her to debate, she would do it in a heartbeat. I don't think that she sees this as a good thing for her. But what I believe is that Arizonans want to see a debate. Uh, and this is not the Carrie Lake fans that want to, that believe that she's going to rake her over the coals or destroy her in a debate. And it's not the Katie Hobbs fans that want to expose Carrie Lake as a conspiracy theorist and an election denier. I think that there are a lot of independent voters out there that are smart. And I think all voters, I mean, I'm not saying that one side is smart and the other isn't. When you watch a campaign ad, you control the narrative. So you run a campaign ad against your opponent and you're able to you're able to um, put them in any light you want them in. Dangerous, scary, doesn't deserve it, angry. And we see this all the time. If you look what's going on between Mark Kelly and Blake Masters, um, the campaign ads that are being run against each other. And then when you run a campaign ad for yourself, you cast yourself in the light of patriot, um, patriotic, good for the state, dedicated, public servant. And so you control the narrative. And so when you see a campaign ad. Um, You get angry at them if it's something you don't like to see and you like them if it's something you like to see. But it doesn't really tell you much. They tell you what they want you to hear in a debate format. If it's done the right way in a debate format, a candidate has to not only state where they stand, but why they stand there. They have to defend the things they've said. 
They have to defend the things they've said about the other candidates. And it is a chance for the people of Arizona to look at them and say, there's some depth there. There's no depth there. That candidate doesn't know much about that topic. That candidate is very well versed and has some really good ideas on that topic. You go to their website. You can read about where they stand. It's all great. But in a debate format, it gives the people of Arizona an opportunity. I think this is a – this is just my personal opinion. I think that this is – maybe they think it's a big mistake to do the debate, but it's a – I think it's a bigger mistake not to. I, I think that the you have to stand up and say, I am willing to say what I believe, which I know she is. I've interviewed Katie Hobbs before. Um, she's not afraid to say what she believes in. But you have to be able to defend it. And you have to be able to tell people what your plans are. And I'm not saying she can't do that. I'm not saying she's not able. But that's what the appearance is. The, the appearance is, for one reason or another, she's afraid to debate. She didn't do it. If you remember, she did not show up for the debate in the primary and people within her party were very upset with her that she didn't do that. And it's going to be worse in a general election. And it's I know it's strategic, but I just think it lets the people of Arizona down. They deserve to hear from candidates. They deserve to hear a debate where both candidates stand up for what they believe in and they defend some of the things they've said, good or bad. And um, I, in the end, I think we're going to see that this is going to hurt her a lot more than it helps her. Just my opinion on it. Coming up just after 10 o'clock, I am so excited about this conversation. We are going to talk about women's sports, Grand Canyon University and their female, their women's rugby team coming up in just a few moments.